Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business on Money FM 89.3 is brought to you by Zero. Try Zero free for 30 days by visiting xero.com. Terms apply. Zero, beautiful business. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker, Bharati Jagdish and Ryan Huang with you. Time now for Mind Your Business. And to set the context, we want to highlight the recent National Day rally in the Malay portion of the speech by Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong. He talked about meritocracy at length and he said that, you know, by helping those who are struggling, we make meritocracy work for all of us and enable everyone to progress together as one nation. Our next guest, of course, is a great example of this. He speaks of meritocracy and the Singapore story indeed, and he would not have arrived at his station in life without a lot of the opportunities in education and mentorship that people in higher stations of life provided him. Of course, they cared and believed in him. It's sometimes difficult to find those people, but I'm glad he did. Coming from a humble background and despite not taking the usual path to becoming a lawyer, he still managed to do so. Mm, yeah, so now he's going one step further and he started his own law firm and wants, or rather he's looking for ways to change up the legal sector. So let's find out more about his story. On the line with us this morning is Basil Ashab, who is Managing Partner and Head of Dispute Resolution at Un and Basil. Good morning, Basil. How are you? Good morning, Elliot. I'm very fine. What a great conversation. I'm so looking forward to it. I understand you are also the ambassador to the Singapore International Mediation Centre I took a, I took a dispute resolution module in law school, and I was so nervous at one of my assessments that I forgot the names of the people I was mediating. Didn't turn out so well for me. How <laughs> <laughs> bet that hasn't happened to Basil oh, not yet. Yeah, <laughs> who who has inspired you know your entire career? Who's who's the greatest influencer in your life, Basil? Uh, that must be the ex High Court judge who I was serving when I was doing my national service. And was in the police force. Mm-hmm. Amazing man, amazing man. Brilliant, kind, and anything you could ask for a leader and in a mentor. Wow, great story. It, what specifically did he offer you in terms of mentorship that um, still resonates with you today? Yeah, sure. I mean, he he taught me character. I take the position that there are three things which would make someone successful. These are IQ, character, and EQ. And thankfully, not most jobs require a very high IQ. I mean, you are not a you don't need to be a nuclear. I mean, you have a nuclear scientist, then you need to have a high IQ. But otherwise, mm. it is the character and EQ. And this man taught me why character is foundation to success. So he taught me integrity. He taught me the ability to listen. And listening is a characteristic rather than an EQ skill, I think. And he taught me to process information before you speak mm. and to be precise. So those are skill sets which I acquired when I was serving him, mm. which I suppose has uh, got me to where I am. Perhaps we could take a step back though, Basil. What got you interested in the law in the first place? Why, did uh, you, why was this the sector you wanted to go into and excel in? Maybe I wasn't good at anything else. <laughs> I mean, I did poorly in math. <laughs> so when I was in the police force, uh, law was a module. 
just like Elliot, I mean, dispute resolution was a module. And I thought law is so integral to a community coming together and existing as a community. Otherwise, it's anarchy. Mm. So that attracted me. And it made sense what I was reading and I was learning to everyday life. Then I realized that it's actually, so once I started reading about law and I passed the exam, then I realized that it's actually a correlation between studying and passing. And I I suppose I got to where I am. Mm. I want to talk about, you know, you starting your your own law firm. And as part of the broader conversation, of course, we did mention that you're looking for ways to change up the law sector. So this is just a bit of trying to be funny question. Starting your own law firm, would you say you're in the best position to capitalize on digitalization? This is something many years ago that our Chief Justice brought up. But digitalization for lawyers, that's not the easiest thing in the world, is it? No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. But I think digitalization was the key to my success. I think that law firm success, as a starting position, without internet, I'm not sure this firm would have succeeded. We were able to travel out and I was able to hook on and branding was made easier with the ability to hook up a nice website and tell people what you're doing. And I think digitalization is key to success. The fact is, though, we've heard over the years that it has been quite a challenge to get law firms back on track or on the bandwagon of digitalization. What challenges have you observed in this regard? You know, just getting people to move with the times. Hmm. So lawyers, I mean, speaking even for myself, we are so steeped into tradition. And we, and again, speaking for myself, we tend to think that tradition means taking the paper and, and scribbling down and printing several other sets of paper and reading and chucking it. So that is not the way to go. With the younger lawyers coming in, they show you that they can, I mean, you can do most of what you do on the screen. Mm. And in fact, I mean, one of the things which I thought was very useful Instead of carrying bundles and bundles of bundles of document and breaking your back, you can actually have a laptop and, and two, probably a monitor. And you, you conduct your entire hearing. I mean, when you get neck pain from carrying a heavy bundle, you would switch. That would force you to switch. So I, I, I think it is younger lawyers coming in and you keep giving them a seat on the table to make decisions, policy changes, I think that's critical for change. Right, certainly. Hear from someone who has the fresh perspective and fresh eyes, right? And actually, this move towards technology and digitalization is a big issue in the legal industry. We should put this in perspective for us. Last year, a new 10-year plan was announced that would see greater support for law firms to adopt technology and, of course, more opportunities for law students to learn digital skills as well. But I understand there are other issues within the legal sector in Singapore. For example, some of my law lawyer friends say that, in fact, it is time to relook at legal education. Law schools seem to be churning out 20th century lawyers for the 21st century. I mean, even though education has gone online, it's time to redesign the curriculum and uh, rethink how law and legal practice should be taught to law students. I wonder if you have any perspectives on this. I do. It's really an interesting question. 
law schools, I mean, they've done great. I mean, they are producing first-rated students. But the focus is from the client's perspective. Clients have become more sophisticated. They would be able to access the resources which once were only available to lawyers. For example, if you want to assess, speaking generally what is dispute resolution, what is mediation, you have plenty of online resources. So a lawyer is no longer defined by the knowledge of law. A lawyer is then defined by how he utilizes the law, understands the personalities he is involved with in terms of the client, understand what the objectives are which is driving the client, and arrive at a solution. The solution is no, sorry, the lawyer is no longer regurgitating the law, but providing solution. So the universities actually are already doing it. They are changing the way they teach lawyers to find solution. So I find that usefully done when students come for internship. Student, and, and I think there are changes going to be made in terms of even the training contracts from six months to a year so that when they become lawyers, they will be able to add value to the client almost immediately. Thanks for standing up for my education, Basil. Is Bharati finding <laughs> trouble? <or? laughs> <laughs> Always the troublemaker. I no, have a reputation but, but, for that, you know. I think, I think it, it, it opens up a whole new perspective and it, it is actually a very good question that leads to, to this next mm. one. With perspective, with a different perspective, Basil, you, you know, how do you handle being a lawyer as well as a businessman, as, as, a lawyer, as the owner of your own firm? How do you go about switching between the two hats? What's important here? So there's no switching, so to speak. I mean, the, mm. the, the problem starts when we say that we need to switch. I think we don't need to. So as a lawyer, you are advising businesses of solutions which would make sure that the businesses thrive and succeed. So if you are first-rated advisor, you already know the business models. So then it's a question of applying those business models to your own practice. So what I tend to do is to, firstly, you need to have bigger seats around your table. So instead of making decisions just with the older partners, you need to bring in younger people. Secondly, I don't make a distinction between lawyers and non-lawyers in my firm. Mm. So I don't even call them support staff. I call them business professionals. So I want to hear their views. Right. And I have a, con- a robust conversation with- between the business professionals and the lawyers before a decision is made. Mm. So those are some of the ways in which I run the practice from a business perspective, if that makes sense. Uh, It's a very interesting point that you bring up because by mentioning that, you make me think that there is or there are many layers of paralegals. There are many levels of participation that a person can take part in in regard to cases. And something interesting that you've done in your law firm, you're talking about not making a distinction, is that your general manager and head of business development is now an equity partner. This is quite an unprecedented unprecedented move, but do you see this as the way things can be done moving forward? Like the, uh, uh, how should I put it? Like a modern law firm? Yes, I think it is. 
I, I certainly it is because law firms cannot be echo chambers. What I mean is, if you have lawyers, especially senior ones, sitting together and making decisions, it becomes an echo chamber. Mm. You don't hear contrary views. I think what is important for a place to be vibrant and change is diversity. So you need to bring in people with diverse backgrounds. Okay. Sit around you so that you can, the decisions would be, any decision made would be thoroughly analyzed with a diverse perspective. So I think, I think it was an excellent idea to give ownership mm-hmm. to non-lawyers. So they have an ownership. And I think my equity partner who's a non-lawyer is contributing significantly mm. having a seat on the table yeah. to changes. Mm. I'd like to talk a little bit more about meritocracy because it was in that context that your name was mentioned. And uh, you've mentioned this too several times, that it was this whole system of meritocracy that enabled you to get to where you are today. However, let's face it, it doesn't always work in the way it has for you, right? I mean, in some cases, there are vicious cycles that families have to deal with. For example, if you don't have stable housing, in spite of the fact that your kids have access to good schools and opportunities to learn, they may not be able to excel. Sometimes there are these obstacles out there. So some of these obstacles obviously diminish the impact of meritocracy and its reach. What's your perspective on this? How can all of this be elevated? And of course, I'm asking this in the context of the fact that you do do your part to give back to your community as well. Yes. So meritocracy, we all agree. I think we all agree largely that meritocracy is the way for an institution or a country to succeed. Our country was built on meritocracy. But there are challenges to meritocracy. Meritocracy uh, is on the assumption that everyone has an equal opportunity from the start and they have an equal playing field. And they then, whoever comes top, is then given an award. That's the assumption on meritocracy. But unfortunately, life is not like that. As you pointed out, Bharti, if you have a unstable family, unfortunately, you don't start in an equal position. Then what is required is to assess those who unfortunately do not have the same playing field to level up as much as possible the playing field. So for example, in my, in my firm, there was I mean, this, this wonderful, wonderful colleague of mine who started off her career as a reception serving coffee and tea. I mean, she, she had fire in her belly and she wanted to do well. So you know, I spoke to her. She said she wants to do HR. We put her in a place where she could get training, assessed her, found she had the right aptitude, sponsored her education. She's now the HR manager. Mm. So, you know, I mean, the fire in the belly has not died. <laughs> in fact, in fact, she is she's running around. She's running the firm. So labeling, I think labeling is a big problem. Mm. So if you label someone as, say, you went to a bad school, so for the rest of your life, you are unlikely to succeed. That is bad. So remove the label. So I didn't go through the traditional route of going through this pass of schools. But no one labeled me. I didn't face discrimination. And I had the good fortune of meeting people who were very happy to lend a guiding hand. And I still think that is the case. So mm. it is more of us 
stepping up and saying that this chap needs to be assisted with and, and doing what we can to promote meritocracy. I think the opposite of meritocracy is popular ideals or mm. popular ideals, populism. Mm. And you already know it can be destructive, as we have seen in many countries. But sure. that is not an option against meritocracy. So meritocracy needs to be promoted, yeah. but with destroying labels, I think. Yeah. we got to change our I thinking. I think the, the key is to just remove the obstacles. I mean, you yeah. don't always have to provide the handouts, but at least remove the obstacles. Yeah. And like you said, community needs to do its part as well. Yeah doesn't have to be traditional. We've been speaking with Basil Ashab, who is Managing Partner and Head of Dispute Resolution at UN and Basel. Really appreciate your time this morning. Take care and stay safe. Thank you. Good to speak to you. Have a good weekend. Mind Your Business on MoneyFM 89.3 is brought to you by Zero. Try Zero free for 30 days by visiting xero.com. Terms apply. Zero. Beautiful business. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.